Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we can come together and focus so well by all that we've experienced so far this morning. And now we ask for your blessing on your word and ask for a special blessing in my presentation of this, that the Holy Spirit would use this to bless and to enlighten and to bring us to an understanding of who you are, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Christmas seems to be so far removed from the worship of the God of the Old and New Testament. There's a huge disconnect, as we talked about last week, between the reality of Christmas and what it means and to what we experience today in the marketplace. Are we truly understanding the purpose for which God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to be our savior? Or is the music and the lights and the trees and all of this, is this a distraction or is this helping us to really understand the true message of Jesus Christ come as a baby in a manger? Christmas has become so commercialized and other than worship of the king who became our savior, the lamb who who went to the cross for us. We use the term Advent. This is the Advent season, meaning Advent is arrival or appearance or coming. And that we don't really understand other than the fact that every year on uh, December 25th, we begin to say Merry Christmas to each other, but we really don't recognize or understand fully by all the distraction that we have around us. It needs to point to who he is and what he really came to present to us. Our family's been doing the Advent calendar, which is hung behind me here. And we've been going through that each Sunday and trying to pick out those things that are meaningful in the tabernacle worship as it came to us through Moses many, many centuries ago. And we want to be able to understand what they point to, what they mean. They must have meaning because they were so involving of the whole life of Israel for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And understanding what each of those objects or those forms that they had, how do they point to something that we can relate to today? And so I want to share this message of the truth about Advent. In other words, picking out those things, what does it mean, the appearing or the coming of Jesus Christ to us today in 2016. In order to be able to understand that, we we need to look at this calendar. And there are three things that we're going to be looking at here. First, the tablets of the law. And that's merely the, not merely, but it is the actuality of the Old Testament in the Bible. The first three quarters of the Bible is 
made up of messages, words, revelations of how Jesus Christ coming to earth as a man becomes relevant to us today in 2016. The tablets of the law, we usually call them the Ten Commandments, but there was a lot surrounding that that was more than just those two tablets, but we'll see how that affects us, what meaning it has for us. Secondly is the manna. Manna means nandeska. (laughs) Manna actually means what is it? And so when the Israelites went out and they had heard that this was coming, that God was going to be giving them bread from heaven, and they went out that first morning and they saw what they it looked like about an inch of snow on the ground. But it was actually bread. And they didn't know it, so they said, what is it? What is it in Hebrew is manna. In Japanese, it's nandeska. Anyway, that points also to Jesus Christ. And then there was another thing that is very significant in the life of the Israelites, particularly as they fled from Egypt to a land that they were going to that God had promised to them. Aaron's rod. Aaron was the first priest of Israel. And he had a rod because he was actually a shepherd, as most of the Israelites were. And that rod became very, very significant. And then I want to close it by talking about another advent. But let's go to the the first advent. God said to Moses, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. We've been picking out of these pockets little things that we... Katie has actually made about 25 years ago. Katie invented this, by the way. Well, she just copied off of the uh, the Bible verses. But she designed this uh, as an Advent calendar. And in each pocket is a, a little item. Most of them we've already put up here over the weeks here of December. The lights, the bread, the blood over the mercy seat, the incense. And now we come to the Ten Commandments, the tablets that we're going to put in a certain box called the Ark of the Covenant. That was Israel's first treasure. And that's what God said, that he would come and he would meet with them in the Ark, above the Ark. This is a picture of what the Ark might have looked like by the descriptions of a wood box of acacia wood, but on the outside they clad it with solid gold. It had a lid on it, which was all one piece. The lid and the cherubim were all one piece. The cherubim, like angels, cherubim are like angels. In fact, you remember the two cherubim that came to the Garden of Eden when man had sinned and man was driven out of Eden and two cherubim with fiery swords kept 
Adam and Eve and their families from coming back into the Garden of Eden. And I think that's what these cherubim represent. And their wings are covering the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat was the blood that was shed. Once a year, the priest would go in sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. This box, or the Ark of the Covenant, was God's commitment to protect his people. And the the law that was contained there, we'll talk about in just a few minutes here. But this is the focus of the tabernacle worship. Everything that they had for their worship focused on this one place, which was called the Holy of Holies. And a priest was only allowed to go in there once a year with the blood of the bull that had been slain and sprinkle on that. It was to represent that we, the people of God, or at that time Israel, could only approach this one way to God. There was no other way. God had driven them away from his presence from Eden, raised them up as a people, and still they were not just simply to walk up and say, Hi, God. Good morning. They couldn't do that. They had to come through a certain way, and it had to be through the shed blood of an animal. It was the most precious possession of Israel. Inside the tablets of the law were placed in Exodus 34, uh, 1-9. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. There's a little story behind this. Actually, God had produced for Moses a set of tablets made of stone that he had written the the ten laws on. Moses had gone up to receive those from God, gone up to Mount Sinai, and he had received those tablets from God to bring down to the people and instruct them concerning the Ten Commandments that they should keep. Well, when Moses got down toward the bottom of the mountain, he heard some, some singing and dancing. And he saw the children of Israel, because he'd been up there for 40 days in the mountain, he heard them dancing around a golden calf. Calf worship they had learned from being in Egypt. And this is what they practiced then. Well, during that 40 days that Moses was up communing with God. He brought the commandments down. Moses saw this. And in his anger, he broke the tablets, threw them on the ground, and broke them. This was a very, very sad time for Moses, but it was also a sad time for God himself. Here the people were going to follow their God, but yet they reverted back to pagan worship. And with the law that was coming to make them holy or to lead them to holiness, they had already broken them before they even received them. And Moses himself broke them. Moses went back up on the mountain again. And God said, 
I'm going to destroy them. Moses pleaded, No, you brought us out of Egypt. Do not destroy them. And God relented and said, Okay, here is what I'll do. You cut out out of rock again. Two more tablets. And I will write on them with my finger the laws of how you should instruct Israel. And so Moses brought those down to the people and they received Moses' words, God's words, and they put them in the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where they were kept. And as a sign of that, pointing in this box, in the Ark of the Covenant, the law remains. It's covered. And who keeps that law? If you look at the Ten Commandments, I'm sure many of you know what those are. Many of us, all of us, are aware, I think, that we are not perfect. None of us. And we cannot keep those commandments. It's impossible for us to do it. But the picture here is, by the covering of the blood, we can keep those commandments. At least we are in a position that we can approach a holy God as we're under the blood. And that's what the meaning is. That's what the picture is for us. Those laws and and what God has given us are very specific. We went through them a few months ago as to what they the purpose was. It was to bring us to the place where we know what our heart really is. Do not bear false witness. How many of us have not ever told a lie? Every one of us are liars. All men are liars, the Bible says. That's what our heart is like. How many of us have killed someone? Don't raise your hand. The police may be here just soon. (laughs) But how many times have we said, God damn you? How many times have we said things hateful toward each other? How many times have we held in our hearts a hatred for another person? We're all guilty. How many times have we looked at a woman or looked at a man? I wish she was my wife or I wish he was my husband and lusted after him or her. All of us have been in a position like that. That's our human heart. That's our nature. It can be covered as we acknowledge the blood on the mercy seat. That's why it's called the mercy seat. We look at the Ten Commandments and they they seem so negative to us. Thou shalt not. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not. What kind of a God is this? Not, 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 not. Here's another way of looking at it. When you see the Ten Commandments or you read through them, it's God really saying, my children don't lie. My children don't kill. My children don't covet. Because God is holy. He desires for us also to be holy. That is what 
this is all about. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. We say, well, if every one of us are in this position, then what are we going to do about becoming holy people? Because none of us are. But Jesus' words here says, I didn't come to destroy the law, I didn't come to abolish it, but I came to fulfill it. And the whole purpose of Christmas, the whole idea behind Christmas, is that Jesus, our Redeemer, had to come as a human being. And the only way that he could do it was through a person like Mary. And he was born as a man. And he grew as a child. He learned obedience from the things that he suffered, the scripture says. He went through every temptation that you and I could ever imagine or have experienced. He has fulfilled the law. And through those temptations, he came out as the perfect Lamb of God. And that's why he qualifies above everyone to be a sacrifice for us. The perfect Lamb of God. John said of him, Behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away, removes it. So the things that are heavy on our shoulders, we know what is in our hearts. Your wife probably doesn't. Your husband probably doesn't. Your best friend probably doesn't know what's in your heart. But you know what it is. And because of that, we are guilty. Because of our sin, we're guilty. Where do we go? Jesus was the one that came to solve that problem in our lives. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Just as God said, okay, you broke the uh, first commandments I gave you, I'll give you another set. God is so gracious and merciful to us. He pours out his mercy to us when we don't even know he's pouring out his mercy to us. That's the God that we know in the Bible. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That grace is poured out to us on the cross. We have this covered, but it is actually a work that is covered like what we have here. Jesus Christ has covered us by his blood, and all who put their trust in him are forgiven. Absolutely. That is gospel truth. And that is what is in our hearts today as we as Christians gather at Christmas time. And actually, as I said, every Sunday morning when we gather here, we're thinking of what Jesus has done for us to make us clean, to make us holy, to make us righteous enough to come into his presence. That's what Christianity is all about. 
It's not how good we are. It's how good he is. And how he has made us clean. Received forgiveness of our sins. Hebrews 9.15, Therefore Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Not like the old one with the stone tablets, but a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So that he has died to redeem them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Under that covenant of the law. We are free from the law if we walk in Jesus Christ. That's what this is talking about. That's the truth about his coming. The tablets of the law. Thank God for them. Then the manna. We already talked about that a little bit. Exodus is described in the morning. There was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, whatever a thing is, but it says thing, flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And then in Exodus uh, 16.33, it says, take a jar and put an omer full, about 2.2 liters of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And so this jar of manna was placed also in the uh, Ark of the Covenant. And this is our gold jar. I think we can get about 2.2 liters into this one. That goes in there also. And that was to also remind us that God is our provision. You know the, the, the word Jehovah-Jireh? You might know the song that says, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jireh means to provide. God is our provider. And not only for our daily bread, but for our soul and body needs. He knows we're human. He made us. He understands our need for food, clothing, for shelter, for protection, for warmth, for love, for care. He is our provider. And it's all because of Jesus. And that is his pronouncement. And that's why it goes also in the ark. You know, we have talked about this, that in Japan we say itadakimasu when we go to receive a meal. That's very biblical. Yeah, it really is. When we say, I'm receiving from above, the Japanese are actually acknowledging the God of provision. In the United States or other countries that have been Christianized, we fold our hands and we bow our heads and we thank God for the food. Or as our custom in our family is, we just hold hands and pray and thank God for what he's given us. Because we acknowledge it all comes from God. You think you earn your salary? None of you earn your salary. Oh, you, Ron, you don't know how hard I work at my office. You really don't earn that. 
That is a provision from God. Because if you didn't have the brains or the ability, your boss would not hire you. Where did you get that? Well, I got it from my parents. Where did they get it from? Well, they got it from their parents. Where did it come from? It came from God. He is our provision for everything that we experience in this life. For our provision. He is Jehovah Jireh who provides for us. And not only for our physical needs, but also for our spiritual, our soul needs of companionship, of love, of understanding, of patience, loving kindness and mercy, forgiveness. God is the provider of that. Do you love your parents? They loved you. They gave you so much. Even when they weren't perfect, they cared for you. God gave you parents. That's why one of the commandments is is to honor your parents. And having a grateful heart is a gift from God. Acknowledging his goodness and his mercy to you. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. That says it all. This whole ball that we're living on is his. And we get to live here. And we get to take part of it. You think it just happened by accident or explosion? No, it didn't. It was by design. By his hand. He knew we needed it ahead of time and that's why he created it before we were even on this earth. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am in the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. That is saying a whole lot. And you think about it, that is what I need every day. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. I have so many hungers in my heart. You do too. He who believes in me will never thirst. The tablets of the law, the man of the law, finally, Aaron's rod. This is the best part, I think, of what we are going to learn here. This is just a dead stick. And there was a question among the priests of Israel, whether Aaron was really the head priest and whether he should be doing all the work and they just be doing the menial things. And so they said, well, why does he get to do this and we don't? And so Moses said, okay, what I'm going to do, I want all of you to bring your rods and put your name on them and lay them before this ark here overnight and in the morning we'll see which one God has chosen Aaron's was there with his name on it Benjamin's was there Reuben, Simeon all, all the other tribes were there and they were uh, represented in the morning when they looked 
when, when Moses got the rod, it looked like this. Well, not quite like that because uh, actually it says it was an almond stick that he had and it had leaves, flowers, and almond fruit on it overnight. It was a dead stick, but yet by morning it became alive. Something dead became alive. What do you think this speaks of? Well, Jesus Christ came as a child. He lived 33 years. He did many wonderful things during that time. Taught us, showed us the Father, prayed for his disciples, showed them his love, and then he went to the cross. And he died for every one of us, every man, woman, and child. He became the sacrifice lamb of God. And the Bible says that he laid in the grave three days. That's dead enough to be dead. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead, it says. God the Father saw that his son had fulfilled all of the law, all the requirement for our sin and our wickedness. He alone was worthy to be raised from the dead. That's what this represented. And it says that Aaron's rod, it's like he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Acts 17, Luke writes about, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, whom he has appointed as priest, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. You know, an interesting thing is the Bible, does, the New Testament does tell us about Jesus' birth, but none of the apostles, Peter, John, Paul, as they wrote, none of them talked about Christmas. None of them. What did they talk about? They talked about Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. Yes, there's the Christmas story there, but that wasn't what they preached. They preached that he came as a man, but they preached that he was the Lamb of God. They preached that it was his blood on the cross for every one of us. And that is why we celebrate Jesus Christ in our life every day of the year, but especially on Sunday, and especially on a day like today where Christmas and um, Sunday come together. We're set aside this time. Why did you come? You wanted to hear the Christmas story. And it was told to us by the Sunday school children. 
But what the real truth is behind it is that he is alive. He is our Savior. He's not a baby anymore. He's a man in heaven. And he intercedes for us. He's given himself for us. Why wouldn't we give our hearts to him? God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And then Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And so I finished this message to talk about there is another Advent coming. Today we acknowledge this is the Advent of his coming the first time. But he's coming again. Revelation 21, 2 and 5, that's the last book of the Bible. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Every one of us who love Jesus Christ and have come to know his salvation in our life, what are we looking for? We're looking for the one that we love so dearly. As a husband, he is our husband. He's the one that gave his life for us. We are the bride. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. No more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain. That is what we have as a legacy. That is what we have as an inheritance from our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he came the first time, he will come again. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we are assembled here in this room, you know every one of our hearts. You see us, you know us, you know whether we're part of you or not. We thank you that in coming to you, we confess our sins and we have been forgiven. And we thank you for your forgiveness. And for those who are here this morning who have not confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We encourage you to, right now, just say, Lord Jesus, you came to earth. Come into my heart. Come and live inside me. Remove my sin. Make me whole. Give me your life. I am not worthy. But I believe the message that I heard this morning. And I ask you to come into my heart. Make me clean. Make me your child. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.